So we're going to try this morning not to focus on those things which are not mentioned here in the Gospel of John, which are mentioned that are mentioned in the other Gospels. And as I've been studying this, I very, very quickly noticed a theme that John was really trying to bring out here, which the Holy Spirit was doing through the work of John, that the Holy Spirit was bringing out very strongly here, and it didn't take me long to pick up on why um, the exact events and conversations were recorded as they were here in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at this from the perspective this morning of Pontius Pilate. Looking at the questioning of Pontius Pilate, I was seeing another parallel. The last lesson we looked at the parallels between Jesus and Peter and um, even a little bit of Judas um, earlier in the chapter. But, and as we get to this point, it's like all of a sudden Peter and John are no longer in the picture. Now it's Jesus and Pilate and Jesus and Pilate and Jesus and Pilate and the Jews. And it goes back and forth between the three of them. And so, but as I was looking over this, I noticed that what John really seems to cover here is he's really driving home a lesson that if we look at these questions of Pontius Pilate, and we see where it all leads to a high point in chapter 19, um, I, I think we get some really great deep truth here. But I want to start with the question of who is Pontius Pilate? Who is Pontius Pilate? <clears throat> he was, um, he's sometimes referred to as governor of Judea, but he was actually a procurator. A procurator, I had to look this up because everything I kept seeing talking about Pontius Pilate, say he was a procurator. He was a procurator. I'm like, well, what's a procurator? I don't know what that is. I looked it up last night in the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it described um, the procurator as a government official um, or a government agent, a financial agent, actually, in ancient Rome. They worked in the different provinces of the Roman government, they were responsible for a number of things, including things such as grain supply, making sure that they had the supplies that were needed for food, um, the mint, and they've actually found coins that were minted by Pontius Pilate. They were responsible for the mines. As I've already said, some of the financial issues they were responsible for um, to quote the encyclopedia here, it says procurators were also appointed to govern with small troop detachments certain lesser provinces. Um, these procurators exercised both financial and judicial authority, even in capital cases, but were usually subject to the general authority of the governor of a major province in the region. In the 4th century AD, the, offices, the office was renamed to something else. Rationalis, I think is what that says. So um, what I have here on, this, on the, the screen, the picture that I have here is actually of a stone or a big block that was found in Caesarea by the sea in Israel. Up to a certain point in history, um, the great wise theologians, the higher critics, claimed that Pontius Pilate did not exist, bringing great doubt to the story of Jesus' Jesus' trial leading up to his crucifixion. 
And part of the reason why they were doubting this was because they could find nowhere other than the Bible. Now, this is how it was always explained to me. There was nowhere other than the Bible that mentioned Pontius Pilate. Um, what, what it came down to is there were actually no official Roman records where they could find his name written down. Notice how I said that, where they could find his name written down. And in fact, in studying this out even deeper lately, I found that um, uh, Josephus talked about Pilate, and this man's not a Christian, so this Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, had no reason to fabricate Pontius Pilate. Um, Philo also talked about Pontius Pilate, and there were other historians that made brief mention of Pontius Pilate. But I just think it's interesting that the higher critics ignored all of those people suddenly and said, oh, well, they have no bearings. There's no actual proof. Well, in Caesarea by the Sea, they uncovered, um, I believe it was around 1961, they uncovered this stone. And the inscription on the stone, the part they were able to make out, um, reads, translates, as this, to the divine Augustus um, Tiberium Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated this. Okay, so that, that's, those are the words we have. What words do we have? We have enough words here to give, um, to give evidence of the accuracy of the scriptures. Um, Pontius Pilate prefect of Judea, and they know that this came from the time period of Jesus Christ's crucifixion. So this lines up perfectly that this was not only a biblical character, but he was a genuine historical character. There was a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. He was um, responsible for a lot. Um, he had his home apparently over there in Caesarea by the sea, but of course would have to make regular trips to Jerusalem. And here we find him in John 18 in Jerusalem. Um, he later, after these events, he, he was um, prefect for 10 years, <clears throat> or there about 10 years, and then he had a bunch of Samaritans killed and was sent to Rome to answer, um, give a, an explanation for his actions, by the time he got there, the emperor had died. They had a new emperor, and he went away um, somewhere else. Some say, some sources say that he was actually banished and sent somewhere else. Anyway, some say that he actually um, killed himself um, eventually. Whatever the case was, we find him here before Jesus Christ asking a lot of questions. In fact, 11 questions that I found here in the Gospel of John of Pontius Pilate. So let's look at these this morning, and we're going to follow this through by the, studying the questions of Pontius Pilate. <clears throat> let's begin here at verse 28. Uh, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. I think it's interesting here that these, um, that these Jews were more interested in killing Jesus than anything else on this day. Yet at the same time, they're so worried about being able to take Passover um, that they will not go into Pilate's judgment hall here. 
just, to me, a really disturbing scene. They don't want to be defiled. They're going to scream, crucify him. They're going to have all the hatred from their hearts spewing out of their mouths, and they don't look at that as defiling. What would be defiling is going into a Gentile judgment hall. Oh, what a terrible thing if we did that, and then we couldn't have Passover. Just a really sick, disturbing mentality that they have right now. Verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? So, regardless of what you think of Pontius Pilate, regardless of what you could say, he begins with a good question. What are you accusing this man of? So, first question, what is his accusation? And I have a picture here of where they believe um, this took place as he walked out and begins to question the Jews. And as we've discussed earlier in the book of John, usually when it says the Jews, it's often talking about um, specifically the Pharisees. Um, So he comes out and questions them, what is he guilty of, or what do y'all accuse him of, rather? Verse 30, they answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Notice they don't answer his question. They just say, if he wasn't guilty of crime, we wouldn't deliver him to you. Um, when somebody doesn't give you a straight answer, they're usually guilty of something, <clears throat> usually hiding something, and these people were obviously guilty of some things. They were trying to fabricate. Um, they've already come from um, dealing with um, the, the high priests, this is obvious. We talked about last time. The high priest had determined what his his that he was getting the death sentence before they even have his trial. I mean, a couple weeks before this, they've already decided he's going to die, even though there's been no trial. And so they they can't answer Pilate straight because if they answer Pilate straight, Pilate's going to release them. So their their response to his first question is not very clear. Verse 31, then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. He does not want to get involved in this local matter. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Okay, I always stop in my tracks right there. Just a couple chapters before, they had the woman that was caught in adultery. They wanted her what? dead. They come to Jesus. They're demanding that he demand the death penalty. They're here ready for this woman to be put to death. And I just think it's interesting. And I understand maybe having to do with the Passover. They can't crucify someone. They couldn't execute them right before Passover. And maybe that's accurate. But the reality of it is they're trying. They want him dead but they're, they don't have the guts to take care of it themselves. They want somebody else to do it. Why? <clears throat> they have an innocent man they're trying to put to death. <clears throat> so they're going to pass the buck. They're going to get somebody else to have to deal with it. Now, look what, it, what John adds some commentary in here. He says that the saying, he said, this is the reason why the Jews were doing this, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Jesus had already told them clearly in Matthew 20, verses 17 to 19. (coughs) Sorry. 
<clears throat> John 3, 14, John 8, 28, John 12, 32, and 33. He had already told them clearly in each of these passages that he was going to die, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be lifted up is how he said it part of the time. He had already told them how his death was going to take place. They obviously didn't understand. They were not fully paying attention. But whatever the case was, John said, now, you know, we can get mad at them all we want, but here's the reason why it happened. God had a plan. The Old Testament law had said, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ was going to take our curse for us, and God had a plan on how his son would be crucified, how his son would be offered up as a sacrifice for our sins, and it was for this purpose that the Jews were not going to crucify him because the Jews didn't do crucifixions. The Jews would have probably stoned him. But what were the Romans going to do? The Romans would have crucified him. So the Romans would have fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. The Romans would have fulfilled the words of Jesus if he had been turned over to them. Now, don't get the idea that the Jews understood this, but this is the sovereignty of God working behind the scenes, putting things into motion, even in these wicked men that want Jesus dead. Um, God is behind it. And um, this is the reason why they are trying to turn him over to Pilate so he can have the crucifixion. Verse 33, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus unto him. Now, look at his question. Art thou the king of the Jews? And from this point on, this is what Pilate keeps coming back to. Now I understand part of this. If he can prove that Jesus claims to be king of the Jews, perhaps here he has a reason he can actually do something to punish him because he's trying to bring some kind of uprising against um, the emperor. But whatever the case is, whatever Pilate's reasoning for seeking to know whether he's king of the Jews this is what he keeps coming back to, and it is truth that Jesus indeed is, not was, not will be, but is the king of the Jews. And so regardless of what Pilate's reasoning was, what I want us to see this morning is there is such a clear, um, a clear follow-through of this line of discussion about whether or not Jesus is king. Now look what Jesus' response to this was. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Did you come up with this yourself, or did somebody else tell you? I love Jesus' response there. Now look at Pilate, his next question. Then Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Would I really have this information? How could I know whether you're actually their king or not? He may be looking for an out here. You know, what do I have? To, this is not in my business. I'm not a Jew. And this is simply what he's trying to prove right here. He's not a Jew. He was born in Italy. He's an Italian. He's a Roman. Am I a Jew? How do I know who you are? And then he quickly goes in to 
Another question, thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. Here's his question. What hast thou done? So he's already asked the Jews, what did Jesus do? Now he, they, he doesn't get a clear answer there. He comes back inside. Obviously, he's heard some talk of Jesus being king of the Jews. He comes back in and he asks him, are you king of the Jews? Am I a Jew? His next question, what hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. My kingdom is not of this world. Look what he says. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. There would be fighting in the streets right now if I was king. Or rather, if my kingdom was of this world. Jesus is trying to get Pilate to understand here that he does not govern an earthly kingdom. His is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is his kingdom. And there will be a day where Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem, king of kings, lord of lords, over heaven and over earth. But Jesus had not been out stirring up rebellion against the Roman government. He had not been out teaching Jewish um, superiority over the Romans. He had not been trying to lead a national rebellion. He was not training soldiers to fight. He was not training his followers in guerrilla warfare. He was out teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. How many times do we read Jesus saying, behold, the kingdom of, of heaven is likened to Behold, the kingdom of heaven is likened to, unless you become like a little child, you can, shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. This had been Jesus' teaching all along. And so he's telling them there would, be, there would be blood in the streets right now if my kingdom was of this world. So he's trying to get Pilate to look at the honest evidence here. There is no fighting. There is no battle. He had one crazy disciple that picked up a sword and cut off somebody's ear. That was the end of that, and Jesus picked up the ear and stuck it back on and rebuked Peter, and um, the, the sword play was over. So Jesus is making it very clear here, this is not what my kingdom's about. Pilate therefore said unto him, now here's his next question. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? His answer is very simple. Are you a king? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. Jesus did not walk into that, into that courtroom declaring to Pilate, I am king. He didn't say, I am a king. I am king of the Jews. Anything else? This was all Pilate's discussion. Pilate brought up the subject with Jesus. Jesus says, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. He said, now I'm going to tell you the purpose of my coming, that I should bear witness unto the truth. I came to bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. He said, I came to bear witness unto the truth. Now look at Pilate's next question. 
Pilate saith unto him, now he's acting like a real Roman. What is truth? This is supposed to be a bust of Pontius Pilate. I don't know, it's a funny looking bust to me, quite detailed, but regardless, I put the picture there because now he's really talking like a philosophical Roman. What is truth? Notice he doesn't wait for a response here. We don't record Jesus answering in anything here in John. But here Jesus said, I came to testify of truth. Now, had he listened to Jesus, Jesus had already said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He had already said, thy word is truth. We know that the true source of truth is Jesus Christ. The only genuine source of truth is Jesus Christ and his word. And anything that is contrary to that is a lie. But Pilate just simply asked, asked the age-old question, what is truth? And yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, see I, I think it was the third. I mean, we don't know. You know, we're not told. I mean, by the time I come to the end of this, studying this out, I've been going, did Pilate get saved? I'm like, after this is over with. I mean, he leaves the whole thing in such a way. that, And, and then the other day I was reading that I believe it's in Ethiopia, that the Christian church of Ethiopia, I, I don't even understand how their denominations work there. But their official stance is that Pilate actually became a Christian. They, they call him a saint, and there's a feast day for Saint Pontius Pilate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Pilate, I, in studying this, what, what kept coming to my mind was Pilate was caught between a rock and a hard place. The rock was Jesus Christ. The hard place was those hard-hearted Pharisees out in his courtyard. He has no way of winning here. He can't make a decision that's going to please anybody. He's the Roman official. And so, I mean, really, we have the Gentile world and the Jewish world coming together right here, like you said, in history at this strong powerful moment. And I just, I wonder if this is a question of frustration. What is truth? You know, like, what are we even discussing truth? You know, what is that? Because he's been serving here in Judea. I mean, he's got the Jewish idea of truth. And of course, they're the Roman roots in Greek philosophy and all of that. He's got all of this. He's a, probably been trained in as a government official. So what is truth? That's an interesting question. But look what, what follows his question here. And when he had said this, when he had asked this question, what is truth? He went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. I find in him no fault at all. He could not find anything wrong with Jesus Christ. 
I mean, that's pretty powerful in his questioning here that he can't find anything that he's done wrong. Verse 39, but ye have a custom. Now he tries to get out of the whole thing. That I should release unto you, I mean, I, I, it's really funny. I, I saw the other day there was some kind of book written about the failed leadership of Pontius Pilate, a case study in leadership or something about what a pathetical per, pathetic person he was because he wouldn't make strong, decisive decisions here and all this. Anyway, I'm like, well, I could criticize him all day long, but I identify right here. I've got a hard decision to make. Ah, oh, I found an easy way out. If I offer this and bring this up, then I won't have to make a decision. I'll let them make the decision. I like that idea. What does he say? But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Notice by now what he's calling Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then cried they all again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, here we have this professional robber. We have a professional thief. And the Jews are de de demanding that Jesus release, I mean, that Pilate release him. He thought he had an easy way out. He thought, I won't have to make a decision. I'll just let Jesus go, and I won't have to worry about it. But not so easy for him. But his question here, will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? He wants to just let Jesus go. I really believe that deep in his heart, he knew this man is not guilty of any crimes. He's already admitted I can find no fault in him at all. But of course, they want a robber. They want a thief. Release someone who has very obviously committed crimes. They want him released. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He makes a little public show here of some type of punishment he's putting on Jesus. I figure at this point, he's just trying to appease the Jews. If I give him a little scourging, if I beat him, and we do some bad stuff to him, you know, maybe we'll. It, it, it's, it, it's for show here, most likely. I mean, he's already admitted he's not done anything wrong. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Now, now during this time, Pilate sent, um, the other gospels show us that Pilate sent Jesus over to Herod. Um, verse number four, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you. Now, G Pilate has already said he's done nothing wrong. And now he allows abuse to take place. He, in fact, he himself um, brings this abuse on Jesus. There's verbal abuse. They begin to hit him. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They mock him. And after doing all this, he brings him forth, uh, verse 4, again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find, here he goes again, no fault in him. Now, part of my thinking here is that 
he has questioned Jesus. He found no fault. He comes out and says, I find no fault. Then he scourges him. He allows the beating. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They mock him. They're slapping him. They're doing all of this abuse to Jesus, and he has watched the whole thing. And Jesus isn't reacting. Jesus isn't fighting back. Jesus is taking it. And so he takes him back out and says again, I find no fault in him. I've questioned him, and his answers come back right. We've beat him, and his answer, he, he's not responding. He's like a, a sheep before his shares is dumb, so he answereth not a word. I mean, this is what, Paul, what Pilate is finding. So he brings him back out again and says, I find no fault. <clears throat> the Jews answered him, <clears throat> we have a law, and by our law, he ought to die. Now, what I think is funny, if they've got a law that he ought to die, why won't they execute him? <clears throat> because they want to do Passover. And by our law, he ought to die because he has he made himself the son of God. Now, we've discussed this before, <clears throat> but the Jewish people, they understood that to claim to be the son of God was to claim deity. He is claiming to be God. When they make this statement, he has made himself the son of God. They are acknowledging he claims to be deity. So he ought to die. This is blasphemy in their eyes. In verse 8, <clears throat> when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. This is significant here, I think, in looking at Pilate. He already had fear, this indicates, but his fear becomes greater because he's really puzzled. Going back to that question, what is truth? <clears throat> he is really puzzled over this Jesus, over this king of the Jews. And when he hears that he claims to be deity, the son of God, this scares Pilate. Would it not scare you? You've just been questioning someone, and now you've been beating someone. He's different from anybody you've ever beaten before. He's different from anybody you've ever questioned before. And now you find out that he claims deity. Verse 9, and went again into the judgment hall. So he goes, runs back into that judgment hall. I can see him moving fast now. And saith unto Jesus, whence art thou? Where did you come from? I mean, we obviously know that he knows he came from Nazareth. If you read the other Gospels, he was aware of him being a Galilean. But now he's got a deeper question. Where are you really from? He knows Jesus is different. But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus has answered him before. Jesus has responded to him before, but now he doesn't say anything. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? His next question, don't you say, why aren't you saying a word? Are you really not speaking to me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee. So here's his next question. Really, it's the, these two could be made into one, but I went ahead and separated them. 
Knowest not that I have power to crucify thee. I have power, I have authority to crucify thee or to release thee. Why aren't you responding to me? I'm the one that has power. I'm the one that has this authority. He had behind him the authority of the Roman government. The Roman emperor was behind him. So he's lucky. I mean, the most powerful government in the world. He is the representative of the most powerful government in the world. And he's like, you're not responding to me? I can release you. I can crucify you. In other words, I have power over whether you live or die. Why aren't you responding to me? I remember what it was like that when um, my um, uh, my brother and sister and I and some of the young people from our church went to see um, George W. Bush when he came to New Orleans one time. Um, He'd been making a lot of stands at the time, and the media hated his guts, and only one reporter even showed up that day. But there was a crowd of people down at the docks in New Orleans, and I can remember him coming in and um, finally getting there. We had been standing up at the front as a group of teenagers visiting with Secret Service. That was fun. And then the president walked in, and I mean, it was just cool. I mean, you were with, right there in front of you is the most powerful man on earth at the time. And I mean, he was right there. He had authority. He had power. And this is what Pilate is claiming. I have authority. I have power. The Roman government is behind me. I can kill you. I can keep you alive. I have the power to do this. Why aren't you answering me? And now Jesus answers, thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. You do not have any authority over me except what has been given to you. What a powerful perspective. And this is something as I, I, I'm just sure that persecution is going to come here before long in the United States. It is a perspective for us to have if the day comes where we have to stand before a judge for preaching the gospel and they tell us, you either keep your mouth shut or I can't execute you, you can look at that judge and honestly believe that they have no power over us except for what God gives them. So if God lets you kill me, well, it's like the preacher, I believe it was in Romania, that um, gave the testimony how he was in prison. They had all these cassette tapes of his sermons and they were beating him and stuff. And they're like, why can't you get upset? Why aren't you angry at us? He's like, because the more you beat me, the more people listen to my sermons. And that just drove his, his um, persecutors crazy. I mean, if we, if we keep him in jail, people listen to his sermons more. If we kill him, and the man told him, if you kill me, I mean, it's going to be wildfire. Everybody's going to be listening to my sermons now. I mean... Anyway, it drove them nuts. I think finally they just let the guy go because they realized if we keep this man, his message gets stronger and stronger. Well, why could that pastor have that kind of perspective? He understood the only authority these people had was what God allowed them to have. God is still in control. Plus, Jesus knows he really is the king of heaven, king of the Jews. He's king of everything. 
And um, he's really not worried about this. Plus, he knows what the end result's going to be. He knows Pilate's going to have to let him, uh, have to send him to be crucified. He knows this is the plan. But he gives us this great doctrinal truth that there is no power given to any government except what God allows them to have, except it were given them for thee from above. Therefore, <clears throat> he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. He knows that there's some worry in the back of Pilate's mind here. There's some worry, there's some fear. And he says, the one who's committed the greatest sin here, those are the people that delivered me to you. In verse number 12, and from thence Pilate sought to release him. After this, Pilate wants to let him go. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Now these Pharisees know how to get Jesus crucified. Let's make this political, even more political than we've tried to make it so far. Now we're going to call him the enemy of Caesar. So if you let Jesus go, you are lining up with another kingdom. And if you crucify him, you're the friend of Caesar. They weren't stupid. Verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the, part <clears throat> and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Now earlier, what did he introduce him as? He said, Behold the man. Now he's had this whole discussion about his deity and all of that, and he changes his terminology a little bit. And now, I really believe that in the heart of Pilate, he knew this is not an ordinary man. I'm not going to introduce him as the man anymore. He said, behold, your king. I was really moved in studying this when I thought back to Matthew chapter 1 and 2, when the wise men come into Jerusalem, and what did, what did they say in Jerusalem? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? You have these Gentiles that came looking for the king of the Jews. They had no trouble accepting the king of the Jews had been born, but Herod wanted him dead. And now we have Pontius Pilate. He says, behold, your king. I mean, what is that, that Christmas song, behold, your king? Pilate's introducing him, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? What a question. Shall I crucify your king? Do you see the theme here that John is laying out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He is laying out that Jesus is king. The chief priests answered, we have no king but David. We have no king but Solomon. We have no king but Jehoshaphat. Is that what they said? We have no king but who? But Caesar. 
Have they not forgotten who Caesar is? Have they not forgotten what he represents? Have they not forgotten what he has done to their people? That he is their oppressor? That he's the one they want to actually have a rebellion against? But they hate Jesus so much that they are willing to line up with Caesar in order to have Jesus dead. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of, the, of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now look real quickly <clears throat> at what transpired. He comes to the end of his questioning. And let's go back and look. What were his conclusions? He said, I find in him no fault at all. I find in him no fault. Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. By the Jews' own law, they should let him go. Pilate has said three times, I can't find anything that he's done wrong. Look at his introductions. I've already mentioned this. First, he says, behold the man. And then after the whole discussion of where did you really come from? Are you God or not? Then he changes his tune and goes out and introduces him as behold your king. And then we find his verdict. What is he going to, this place card they would put sometimes over the, um, the, this inscription here. It was a place card they would sometimes put over a victim, or rather a, um, a, a criminal, not a victim, but a criminal, giving an explanation for why they had been executed or why they were being punished. So when he gives his verdict, he gives his reasoning for why Jesus is being executed, it reads simply, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He does not list crimes. He doesn't list that he was trying to lead a revolt. He makes a simple statement of what we know is truth. He presented him once again, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. You think that Pilate wanted everybody to understand who this is being crucified. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews. I mean, this is offensive to them. They are highly offended. This is not politically correct. They get upset, and so they come and whine to Pilate. We don't want you to write this, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. They want the accusation to read, or his crime to read, that he said he was king of the Jews. And look at Pilate's response. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. This is my final word. This is my final say. What was his final word? What was his final say? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. 
It's interesting as you read through the Gospel of John. We find in chapter 1 and verse 45, Philip's confession that we have found him who was written in the law. We found the prophet. We found Messiah. He's so excited. John chapter 1 and verse 49, we have Nathanael. Listen to what Nathanael said. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art, this is his great confession, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. One of Jesus' first converts tells him in his confession, you are the king of Israel. We find the men of Samaria in um, John 4.42 confessing that he is indeed the savior of the world. Martha in um, John 11.27, we find her great confession where she says, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And there were other confessions of who Jesus was. Jesus himself had said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He had present, He even told them, I, before Abraham was, I am. And now we get to this point, and the representative of Caesar, the representative of the Roman government leaves us here with this, his conclusion. Who is this? He is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Now, whether he later got saved or not, I don't know. That's one of those things we'll find out when we get in heaven. We could write books about it and waste all kinds of time debating it. Utter stupidity. But here's the reality. One day we'll find out whether he's there or not. And of course, by then we won't really care whether Pilate's there or not. We'll care that we're there in God's presence. But but he leaves us with this great confession. I, I didn't notice this. I've studied John multiple times. I've taught through John before. And I never caught it until this time. That John puts in here so much emphasis on Pilate because he wants to give us one more confession of who Jesus is. He said, let's see who a Roman official says Jesus is. What's his confession of who Jesus is? And whether this was a confession or faith of not or not, I do not know. But what I do know is this Roman official says this is his crime. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And when they wanted to question that and wanted him to change his wording, he said, what I have written, I have written. This is my official stance. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how clearly you've recorded the testimony of these people who knew you, these people who walked with your son. And Lord, I thank you for this testimony of this Roman official. We don't know whether he became a believer or not, but his official declaration was that Jesus was innocent. His official declaration and confession was that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the one the wise men had come to Jerusalem trying to find. And I believe your Holy Spirit was giving the Jews one more opportunity to confess him and to receive him as he introduced him. Behold, your king. Lord, I pray that you would help us this week, Lord, to acknowledge your kingship in our lives.
Lord, we acknowledge that you are sovereign, that you are king, whether we act like it or not. But Lord, I pray that we would be in line with your kingdom, that your will would be done in our lives. We would be completely under your authority. And Lord, we would recognize as Pilate, as Jesus told Pilate, that there is no authority given to any government anywhere but what you have given them. And Lord, we thank you that we can recognize today that you are a sovereign God and that you are in control, that you are powerful. You are all powerful. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you more. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith this week. And Lord, you would empower us to follow you wholeheartedly. In Christ's name we pray.